Hey folks, hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations on India with Pandey and Vyas. So uh, Pandey is here, let me quickly invite him in. If I am getting the news right, we are also going to have a podcast with us. बहुत ही अच्छी खबर मिली इससे हौसला बढ़ेगा इस समय से So, uh, do you want to wait for Vikas or what? Hey, hi, Achyut. I mean, I'm asking. But now, this result is family, etc. So, then I can't say anything publicly. So, now, 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 Uh, we are already 20 minutes late so uh, this episode is only going to be like uh, i don't know 40 minutes maybe we have a couple of topics to discuss and uh, this is not actually going to be current but we're going to look at some of the biggest uh, like one of the biggest news that came up during the last year uh, which is related to the whole uh, situation in agriculture and the farmers protest and sort of the government angle on it and the farmers angle on it so we're going to have quite an expansive debate on agriculture today and then uh, we also have uh, a little bit of revision uh, shall we say for uh, buddhism uh, which uh, panda has uh, prepared for us uh, so uh, panda is uh, going to take us through uh, a whirlwind tour of uh, buddhism today uh, as much as we can cover in about 20 minutes so uh, I, i guess without further ado let's get started then yeah you know just uh, before that i, I want to uh, you know just uh, compare gandhi and bose before i start with any of the discussion you know that is okay. something that has been going on in minds so interesting uh, yeah you know uh, both considered uh, you know epitome of leadership in their respective fields uh, mm-hmm. it was said that uh, you know uh, he was uh, uh, bose was a man of action so uh, and we have already talked uh, that since 23rd jan this year on his birthday uh, he has been recognized and the special day has been mentioned in his name so uh, you know why don't i just start with uh, comparing gandhi and bose and uh, it will just take few couple of minutes and i think so we will be joined by vikas uh, meanwhile right okay so uh, first of all uh, wait yeah first of all let's see uh, baba ka rank aage yes yes ha uh, baba is going to join in in like 5 uh, minutes just stay like online for a guest appearance by baba yeah so uh, you know uh, just starting with the differences between gandhi and uh, bose will start first was the uh, approach you know gandhi was totally non militant and uh, bose where was uh, whereas was a man of action you know he did not hesitate to use violence that was first thing you know whatever means yeah. necessary the second difference was gandhi always believed in means and ends so he said that if your means your means can never justify your ends so if your means are not correct for example if your means are not violent whatever be the result uh say if the end is a non violent world but it will still not be uh, useful because there is no end to means that is what he said whereas bose believed that you know whatever are the means to achieve anything should be adopted and, uh, that is the first uh, thing second thing is the most important thing is the form of government that they both wanted you know gandhi wanted uh, both were against communism because uh, for different reasons uh, because first thing commun- uh, communism does not recognize any religion whereas both gandhi and bose were religious men they had their own notions of religion second thing is bose wanted a mixture of socialism along with fascism now what fascism was fascism of italy so he just wanted the discipline part from that and the socialism part where industries you know could play a very important role whereas gandhi was against industrialization he said that you know bringing up more industries will take up jobs uh, will remove jobs from uh, the hands of laborers so this was another difference between gandhi and bose and uh, gandhi always wanted a ram rajya uh, and what this ram rajya meant was that you know village should be the autonomy and the most important decision making uh, body or uh, level 
and they would make their own decisions they would make their own decisions and uh, you know decisions would be autonomous uh, uh, and uh, it it would be a labor intensive uh, country wherever it is made so that everyone uh, you know works and uh, economy the economy that they both wanted again bose was in favor of industrialization uh, and gandhi wanted that you know we should go back to our roots we should only have an economy uh, of you know uh, just growing agriculture and having it that that is sufficient that is the peaceful means you know no cravings for more and uh, that was one thing both wanted private property but they had their different notions gandhi wanted trusteeship that the people that have more they should act as trustee for other people whereas bose was uh, more in that sense that you know you should not have very much because he was a uh, fan of socialism but along with fascism so that was the next thing another thing the most important thing was <coughs> the religion you know gandhi said that even atheists have their own god whatever god uh, you know if they don't even believe in god that is itself a god whereas bose was a core hindu but he did not uh, you know uh, proclaim uh, proclaim his religion or uh, insert uh, you know his views on others that that is he was a secular hindu that is what his army had all mixture of all the races and castes so that was one different thing right and yeah. uh, the final difference uh, two more differences then i'll just bring in caste and untouchability was one difference you know uh, gandhi wanted to remove untouchability but he did not wanted to remove caste he wanted the four varnas to stay he said that there was nothing wrong in that and even the uh, harijans they themselves had their own rules of intercaste marriages and interdining so it should not be uh, you know brought up whereas uh, bose wanted a uh, casteless society he was only for a class based society that everyone uh, should Uh, earn and do what uh, ever you know they could do and he was obviously against untouchability and last was the position of women gandhi if you compare from the modern standards was a patriarch because yes he supported women to come uh, in revolutions but he said very explicitly and multiple times he said that uh, women should be uh, limited to house and they should uh, not compare with men because they cannot reach to such heights as men can these were the words of gandhi that have been reiterated multiple times Whereas Bose was a man of action, and he included women even in his forces. You know, he had a special regiment, Jhansi uh, Kirani regiment. Uh, by you know, it was led by uh, Lakshmi Sagar, Lakshmi Swami Nathan. So uh, the, these were the major differences between Bose and Gandhi. And you know, there have been talks of uh, comparing these both leaders. Both worked on a different level. Uh, one used uh, whatever means he could to uh, you know contribute for the freedom struggle, whereas Gandhi used non-violent means. so this was mm-hmm. uh, something uh, that i just wanted to you know bring up because there have been lots of talks uh, as we see on news that uh, there is this so there is no comparison uh, uh, per se between the contributions of both both contributed in a uh, different way you know uh, he was the prince uh, among patriots both and yeah. he was the father uh, uh, called by gandhi i think yeah vice versa he was the first one to call him uh, father of nation and he called him the prince among patriots so that, that is something yeah. what are you and, and i think uh, there was like a healthy respect between uh, the two so uh, you know uh, since you have mentioned most of the theoretical and uh, you know the substrate of the work i would just like to mention <coughs> one or two tidbits uh, which are very uh, you know surface level information so uh, uh, subhash chandra bose was actually since it is also the flavor of the day uh, he, he got selected in ics right uh, when he was just 19 years of age hey hi rahul kak so uh, subhash chandra bose was uh, you know a, a civil servant uh, selected at a very young age for the british uh, and and then he left that and and sort of uh, joined the indian national movement uh, went on to become the president of congress at the tripuri session where he proclaimed uh, you know a, a very uh, radical agenda uh, but then later he got out maneuvered by gandhi and then he eventually left the congress and established uh, you know uh, an, an another political front uh, what was the name of the front uh i uh, i i don't really forward remember block. Uh, huh forward block forward block yeah yeah he 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 set up forward block and uh, you know uh, 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 during the time of independence and sort of he was not involved post independence and it is one of the great uh, you know uh, 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 very unfortunate for india that he was not involved post independence because uh, you, you know he, he he sort of pandered towards the germans during uh, world war 2 as india was exploring all the routes that it could have taken in order to get freedom right so uh, it it only makes sense that, that some of the nationalist leaders also reached out to germany since germany was fighting britain in in world war 2 and and you know there was sort of a political connection there but but that sort of did not work out and then in post war 
so so that he may not get punished for being uh, you know uh, close to the nazis uh, he he sort of went underground but uh, it, it it is you know uh, very sad that uh, we, we could not have him in india's first cabinet or and you know in 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 leadership position because he certainly played the role during india's freedom struggle he was a prominent figure he had a huge following he was able to you know uh, bring in so many people so i i think uh, subhash chandra bose uh, bose's uh, contribution sometimes goes under noticed or under acknowledged but but that should not be the case i i think he he is uh, one of the stalwarts of india's uh, freedom struggle and uh, baba is just about to join us we are we are just discussing this uh, filler topic until uh, the star of the show uh, the man of the hour joins us so uh, panda can you ping him once again people are waiting for him man yeah you know what was uh, he saying that abhi download kar raha hu yaar instagram i love dedication you know uh, yeah yeah of <laughs> course he he only wants to improve you know hmm so that that is what oh we had a power cut anyways wait let me just okay. adjust my camera <clears throat> third world problems <laughs> no i have an inverter but let me just check whether this is okay baba ki app download ho jaye to yaar uh kare aage ka karyakram anyways we'll just uh, start discussing and when we are uh, he will come in just check no no are yaar fir break aa jayega beech mein pata nahi it's okay you know we can chal theek hai to where do you want to start agriculture or buddhism Uh, Buddhism. I think so. I'll uh, start with Buddhism. Talking about okay. Baba. So let's start with Buddhism. You know. Yeah. So Buddhism, right? So Buddhism itself is a new religion. It was a new religion twenty six hundred years ago. Uh, it was founded <laughs> in BC mainly uh, because of the uh, as a reactionary measure to the uh, sacrifices that the Brahmanical religion had started. Uh, too much sacrifices in the later Vedic period and the Mahajanpada period. so buddhism started presently buddhism is the fourth largest religion in the world uh, it has almost disappeared from india with only 0.7% uh, contribution in uh, you know our population in majority in maharashtra right so we'll be talking about buddhism the major sources are uh, you know canon uh, canonical and non canonical sources now for yours canonicals are the ones that were given or related to buddha directly such as the uh, pitakas the three pitakas the three mm-hmm. uh, pitakas and non canonical are those uh, that have been given by uh, subsequent authors yeah yeah so uh, since you mentioned the three pitakas it will be good to you know just uh, uh, name them out so so there is the vinay pitaka uh, which includes uh, you know the rules and regulations of the sangha so the so sangha was this uh, buddhist entity where a bunch of monks sort of came together and uh, the rules were uh, you know uh, given in vinay pitaka then uh, buddha's teaching uh, itself were in sutta pitaka which is uh, su t a and uh, then abhidhamma pitaka is the uh, ethics right uh, the, the the buddhist ethics and philosophical matters are are in abhidhamma pitaka so so these three vinay sutta and abhidhamma and abhidhamma pitaka then we have majority yeah. of non canonical you know dipavamsa mahavamsa and all all those books yeah. uh, milinda paho uh, different in, we have infinite uh, books based on that right now uh, talking about basically the life of buddha basic life of buddha and then we'll come to the relevance of buddhism in uh, present context mm-hmm. right so uh, he was also called the sakya muni you know tathagata and uh, he had three uh, jewels basically three mm-hmm. ratnas one uh, in buddhism one is the buddha himself the second are the uh, dhamma the his teachings basically they are called dhamma and the third ones are the sang the members the buddhist uh, monks basically Uh, those are the ones uh, that are basically the core concept now presently buddhism has been divided into multiple parts you know there is a sinayana buddhism there is mahanayana buddhism and there is vajrayana buddhism basic difference and, and there is also uh, theravada buddhism also that 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 is a part of uh, hinayana buddhism basically hinayana okay. evolved so basically uh, what, what is the difference i'll just tell theravada or hinayana buddhism is uh, uh, theravada means you know teaching of elders basically so mm-hmm. this buddhism focuses on the teachings of elder it is the pure buddhism pure buddhism in the sense that the original teachings have been maintained and no changes have been brought about right and uh, uh, this, this is like the main branch of buddhism which is followed in sri lanka cambodia myanmar and uh, uh, thailand in, also. In, the, in the in the lower part 
right yeah, and yeah. Uh, this this buddhism okay. was supported by ashoka and uh, you know this you know and this buddhism uh, theravada buddhism was supported by ashoka and uh, you know i think so we have the man of the hour yeah. so we'll discuss yeah, buddhism yes. so so let's just pause and uh, you know let uh, vikas join come on vikas hit the join button is he there or has he gone let me just see yeah he's there i think so wait i don't know he should be there anyways he'll join so wait let me yeah. see send that no so you know there is this uh, theravada buddhism that is the hinayana buddhism then there is this mahayana buddhism these two branches were separated in the fourth council we'll be discussing about the council in short and the name hinayana means lesser vehicle and this name was given by the mahayana buddhists mm-hmm. mahayana buddhists basically worship uh, you know idols idol worship and they are the majority buddhists in the world presently 53% hinayana are only 35% in the third and let's also get uh, explain the names a little bit mahayana and hinayana so a uh, mahayana is like the great vehicle and uh, hinayana is the lesser vehicle so uh, mahayana uh, came into being uh, later on it it sort of split from buddhism and uh, there uh, the, the understanding was that uh, you know we should worship the buddha in in its form and uh, the hinayana buddhism the core belief is that we should not worship buddha the man but worship the principles or the uh, you know the the thought of buddha or or uh, the the teachings that he gave us and not the person himself so uh, these were sort of the two differences and uh, uh, as far as the name is concerned greater and lesser vehicle uh, it is named so because the greater vehicle is supposed to carry more people so uh, mahayana buddhism is easier to understand that there is a god his name is buddha and we pray to him and you know there are all these symbols of buddha which are prayed to uh in in mahayana buddhism whereas uh, uh, the hinayana buddhism or the theravada buddhism it's it's, it's a little, little more complicated than that and it, it is a little bit more theoretical as well and and it's harder to understand so uh, not many people can actually uh, you know uh, benefit from it or understand it so, so that that is why the naming is there and and obviously it was named by the mahayana people the hinayana people would not choose to call themselves hinayana right? so <laughs> right and then the third one is the vajrayana Uh, yeah basically vajrayana means vehicle of thunderbolt or it is also called as you know d- diamond vehicle uh, named mm-hmm. by themselves so it yeah. believes in mystic powers that you know we should attain mystic powers and uh, that that can help us attain salvation or nirvana <coughs> now this is uh, followed in china you know uh, china japan and uh, all those countries you know you see these kung fu's and so they are related to this vajrayana part of buddhism and uh, this yellow hat of buddhism that is uh, you know propagated by dalai lama his holiness dalai lama is a part of vajrayana buddhism basically so these are the three major uh, parts of uh, you know buddhism vajrayana buddhism is you can say even more uh, i would say heterodox than mahayana it takes the teaching of mahayana it makes it more easy you know it brings in mantras tantras uh, for people to achieve that but ultimately you know it is losing its shine Uh, because the basic tenet that uh, had made the formation of this religion was again the sacrifices and the rituals and that is now uh, you know sweeping back into it so presently mahayana is the most followed buddhism and then we have this uh, hinayana and then we have this uh, theravada uh, sorry vajrayana right now i'll just talk about the four basic councils and then it's relevant today so uh, there mm-hmm. were four basic councils that were uh, happened in the history of buddhism first one was immediately after the death of buddha in 483 bc basically nothing happened all these pitakas that we discussed the canonical texts they were discussed orally and uh, that was just to maintain the purity right and that was yeah and and the first one actually ha- happened under the uh, rule of ashoka right no no first one was under the rule of ajatri oh ajatri yeah right. Se- second one Se- was i think ashoka third second was uh, second one was under kal, kal ashoka and in oh. second what basically happened is this theravada and uh, you know mahayana there was a split that was seen uh, you know it did not develop totally but uh, the precursors to uh, mahayana the uh, mahasanghikas and uh, 
uh, these type of schools basically were made but still uh, there were reforms now as you go later from buddha tendency to separate start you know then comes the third buddhist council under ashoka again only one buddhism was present the hinayana buddhism uh, as it is called now the theravada or hinayana buddhism right and in this uh, third council you know buddhism was spread all over all over the world so now people will adapt accordingly and there will be changes that will be brought and uh, the fourth was buddhist uh, the fourth council was uh, basically in kashmir under kanishka and it was here uh, basically in first common century first ad that hinayana and mahayana were separated the three pitakas yeah, were question. orally spoken again in the first uh, council but they were written in uh, the written form in the third council in the uh, during oh. the time of ashoka right so this yeah. is now coming okay. to the relevance of buddhism today that is the most important uh, thing that we you know uh, come about just the end of the discussion you know <laughs> relevance okay. of He's here as well. yeah yeah i just want him to be here so just uh, <laughs> the end uh, is that buddhism does not believe in soul Buddhism believes in karma, and we have someone, you know. Abey, one second. Ha ha, you are five minutes late, boy. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello, yar. How are you doing, bro? How are you feeling? Can you tell me? Abey, you guys' voice is not coming. Abey, tell me. 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 थोड़ा फॉर्मली बोल देते हैं क्योंकि अभी लाइव है ना और लोग हैं पास में तो रिजल्ट देखा फिर ऐसे मतलब हार ठीक मतलब कुछ मिल जाएगा अब सफरिंग फ्रॉम सक्सेस मतलब देखा मैंने अबे वो अभी रहेगा यार एक दो घंटे तो अभी फिर ऐसे हो जाएगा नॉर्मल मैंने विकास को रैंक विकास कॉन्ग्रेचुलेशन सीधा मैंने विकास रैंक ये रैंक विकास विकास नहीं तो विकास बोलता हा पांडा हो ही गया चलो वन डाउन मल्टीपल मोड टू गो लेकिन ऐसे विकास ठीक है गाइस ऐसे अभी कंटिन्यू करो तुम लोग फिर ऐसे अपन करते हैं ठीक है ठीक है ठीक है थैंक्स गाइस थैंक यू चल बाय मिलते हैं बाय रो Okay, so there you have it, folks. A glimpse of the <laughs> post success. You know, nothing new, but very extraordinary. Yeah. If you see it from our side, you know, we have been struggling uh, for so long, and finally results yep. start to bore in. Right now, yeah. uh, just concluding the topic with relevance of Buddhism today. Uh, it believes mm-hmm. in uh, theory of karma, but its theory of karma is different than uh, the Brahmanical theory of karma. Basically, what it believes is that your intentions of your actions are much more important than the action itself, right? And mm-hmm. uh, Buddhism also believes that whatever you have achieved in your uh, present life are the actions uh, or the karmas of your last life. Whereas the Brahmins believe that you know uh, it is niyati, it is predestined that you are born in a respective shudra or shatriya, what whatever be the. cast that you were born so this was the major difference relevance today is that it does not believe in soul but it believes in karma so uh, it, it motivates us to do better in the uh, principles the non violence the asatya principle are all ones that are needed you know presently in today's world uh, so as to <coughs> over overcome that so i think so that was a very short and crisp discussion on what buddhism how it evolved and what is the uh, present uh, relevance of that religion in today's life yeah and and before we go let's just uh, do a quick recap of the years in which the four uh, councils were held so the first one was 483 bc right and the second one was huh? <coughs> first one was 483 bc it uh, it was in the same year uh, uh, buddha died then buddha second died. one was 100 years so it was 383 bc bc right and it was kala okay. shoka then it was during the reign of uh, ashoka the great you know and uh, it was i think so in 250 bc 250. and the last one was yeah. in first ad somewhere in first ad 
we don't exactly know the date first century ad yeah first century ad that was by all right awesome so there you have it folks uh, buddhism uh, we, we're done with it and next we want to talk about a topic which has been in news for the last year and it was also in news like uh, before last year also but uh, last year it really took off with the farmer protest right and we want to uh, do like a wide ranging discussion on agriculture itself so i'm i'm just going to uh, you know lay down the topic and start uh, with the three important legislations right uh, that is where uh, everything started when the government decided to bring in these three uh, key legislations right uh, so uh, one one was the apmc act uh, one was the contract farming act and the third one was uh, panda contract farming uh, and you know just just these regulations i don't exactly know the names were, wait then wait. let me google wait and then tell you which which one is that okay in any case so uh, i i first want to give you the government view uh, that that why the government thought uh, that this was the right time to bring in these legislations and these were the right legislations right so the first thing is that uh, the annual income gap between uh, some uh, a laborer in uh, who is employed on the farm versus a laborer who is employed uh, you know outside the farm that income gap had increased uh, so it was 25000 per annum the gap in 1993 and 94 and it is, it has increased to 1.42 lakhs per annum in 2011 and 12 uh, there has been like a huge uh, you know change i'm sorry uh, can you hear me Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there has been a huge change in uh, 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 the 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 non-farm income versus the farm income, and uh, people on the farm are are uh, just not earning enough. So that's why the government thought that this is a good time to bring in uh, a reform in the sector so that the farmers' incomes can be improved. Then, uh, uh, while the aggregate food demand has fallen, right? Uh, I, I mean, the aggregate food uh, uh, that we have has fallen short of. Uh, what the demand is so uh, in, in indian people are still going hungry whereas at the same time there are you know excess stocks with the government uh, which implies that uh, there is a supply and demand mismatch there and uh, the income support uh, you know uh, schemes that the government is running it is somewhere uh, not delivering the right results because on the government side it is leading to huge deficits and huge stockpiles of surplus grains and then on the consumer side there is just not enough food for people to eat Right, so so somewhere uh, something is really wrong. Then uh, India's agri exports are getting really difficult to push because uh, you know in the subsidized environment where uh, fertilizer is subsidized, pesticide is subsidized, people keep growing the same crops and again and again at a subsidized cost. And these these grains are actually not fit for exports because when you go to export, these other countries they have very stringent norms when it comes to you know use of uh, uh, you know chemical pesticides and uh, use of chemical chemicals in basically growing whereas in india there is no such rules so what what happens is that indian agriculture uh, produce then cannot be exported outside which is like a huge blocker and it is stopping india's farmers from earning more so there i think there is uh, some some sort of regulatory gap then uh, the, the, there is another problem that the ease of trade is not there in agriculture so uh, you know right now many of the apmc acts in the different states The, the rule is that you first need to get a, a you know a license card in order to become an agricultural trader and uh, what that means is like uh, you need to have a certain bank balance you need to have the right connections in order to buy grains from farmers right so uh, with the new act the government is proposing that we'll remove any such entry restrictions so that the uh, trade in fruit grains can be truly uh, you know free market so uh, this is sort of the government law Uh, or or the government view on this uh, these are the problems that they see and that is why they have brought in the changes that they have brought so now i would like to get your opinion on 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 what the government view is and sort of also give us the farmers perspective so from the other side if we look at this debate what what does it look like right see basically uh, you have rightly mentioned you know uh, the word is cobweb cycle that is used so if today i announced a msp uh, for say uh, wheat right so all the farmers will grow wheat and as a result there will be surplus of wheat and the prices will ultimately fall, fall down right and now if, if this year the prices of mustard are high the next year farmer will see that the corresponding uh, in the corresponding year the uh, uh, you know the price of mustard were high 
all will grow mustard and uh, as a result the prices will fall this is a cobweb cycle uh, cobweb cycle that is you know very very common uh, agriculture and to overcome this uh, this concept of msp was introduced that government would announce uh, would announce minimum support price so that farmers would also get minimum uh, you know uh, uh, price for whatever they produce and this this was announced beforehand so in a way msp can regulate what farmer grow because if they announce more price on pulses farmers will be naturally you know uh, diverted to grow more pulses but it has not been used in india this is this is one uh, lacking uh, msp is only mainly focused towards the wheat and rice cultivation whereas we have msp around for 22 crops along with one more that is sugar that is frp fair and remunerative price so this this has not been done this is one major issue now these bills were brought because farming uh, is in uh, state list agriculture is in a state list right so these are model laws these all three laws are model laws the second law is contract contract is a content list now what basically these farms do, uh, farm laws again for our viewers to reiterate is they let you enter into a contract with the farmer directly a private company can directly enter into a contract with farmer and whatever is the contract that that they have between them uh, can be executed say i'll buy for this much amount you know again beforehand that contract will be published now where the problem lies the first thing is that till now uh, the first sale that a farmer can be uh, can make is in the apmc mondays right and this is uh, this is a legal uh, rule that you cannot make any other uh, uh, sale anywhere else like farmer can individually do it but the first official sale has to be made in a apmc monday and apmc mondays where the msp uh, is applicable right now you have highlighted the problems that many farmers don't have apmc card this is the first problem the second problem is the government also on time does not release the amount the amount that is released to farmers is uh, you know after a gap of 6 months and that is huge farmers don't have proper storage facilities they cannot hold on to uh, you know debt for 6 months because uh, it, agriculture is an ongoing process uh, if if uh, presently you have uh, taken out a crop and you need to sow the next crop uh, it it, ha- it happens in continuation you need capital for that and uh, farmers generally uh, you know they, they live from very hand to mouth basis so this is where uh, another problem arises is that middlemen come they take the uh, food from the farmers at a very cheap rate you know store it and then they sell it at msp and then uh, you know they are ready because they have the storage facilities so uh, they make huge profits uh, and uh, this was a case that has been demonstrated now why this farmer protests are ongoing is because these three laws that have come in they have few uh, clauses that are very you know disturbing for both uh, these farmers and uh, also for the apmc the first one law, uh, the first law is that if there is a dispute between the contract that has been signed between a private uh, you know uh, owner and a farmer the remedy will lie not to any court but to the sdm and the dm of that district and farmers are alleging you know especially after this video has uh, come out of uh, ayush sinha uh, stating that you know just break their heads and stuff like that so farmers are alleging that alleging that you know dm can be in, uh, influenced by these private builders uh, say some corruption or uh, thing like that so they needed a better court of appeal that was one uh, major problem second one was they fear that apmc mondays will slowly get eradicated because if uh, if you enter into a contract you you are not selling into apmc monday and apmc monday will lay vacant for say two or three years so naturally the mondays and the you know government authorities will obviously pack up and go this is the second fear that they have and this has been seen in himachal pradesh and bihar so these are the cases uh, these are the two main bones of contention between the farmers and the government you know uh, farmers have said uh, multiple times uh, to the government to withdraw it totally government has said that we will rectify these two clauses that you have problem with but now it has become more of a symbolic protest that uh, you know government keeps on doing whatever they want and the farmers are first line of uh, defense and it has been politicized so the uh, it, it is going on more than 700 in fact 770 farmers have lost their uh, Uh, life and very recently about 2 hours before you know uh, the farmer leader tikath uh, he he has sent a tweet he has posted a tweet you know uh, tagging the uh, potters the uh, bidan basically joe bidan and stating him that you know pm modi does not listen to us now since he is coming to uh, white house why don't you discuss with him the issues that we are facing so you know this this is the recent thing that is going in farm laws and this is the basic crux of what uh, things are going on yeah i i think the whole issue is massively politicized because you know our farmers are uh, a huge uh, you know they are the part of population where the voting percentage is really high whereas you know in some of the urban cohorts the voting percentage is not really high so uh, any any sort of farmers issue it has the potential to get politicized a lot 
and and that happens in india all the time so when the government was bringing in three big legislations at the same time uh, you know it, it it was always going to have blowback from the you know, farmer side now uh, you know some of india's intelligentsia or the intellectual class have also you know uh, expressed some sort of dissatisfaction with the farmers protest you know uh, they have sort of said that the farmers should understand that uh, these all are reformative steps and these are going to help them on more and in the long term it is going to be good for them so but but i think this kind of paternalistic attitude towards farmers is not good because uh, these people actually do not know what is the situation on the ground and uh, so many uh, farmers are protesting so there must be a reason why they are protesting they they are not protesting for purely political reason uh, you know uh, they feel real threat uh when when it comes to these new legislation uh, th- these legislations are a real threat to how they do business so for example where the center of the protest was mainly the haryana punjab right which is where most of the msp procurement takes place so msp procurement is mainly taking place for wheat and rice and 70% of the money gets spent in just these two states so when you talk about bringing in a new apmc law Uh, which is going to you know have uh, effects on how 70% of agriculture gets done in these two states then obviously it is going to have no back right so i i, I think uh, in, in in trying to uh, do a lot at the same time uh, the, the the government has missed a step here uh, although i do agree some of the steps there are reformatory in nature so for example removing the restrictions uh, from trading in uh, mandi ground i think that is a good step <coughs> Uh, you know uh, there there should be no licensing condition anybody should be able to buy at at the minimum support price so if you buying at the msp uh, it doesn't matter if you are you know a uh, official trader or or if you are uh, you know just a wholesaler or or if you are you know uh, just a normal citizen of india you should be able to buy a uh, green directly from farmer so i think that is a positive step and uh, uh, as as far as the contract farming law is concerned uh, there is a huge anxiety On, on on the farmers part that it will somehow lead to them losing their land so uh, can you maybe throw some light on that that uh, where this anxiety comes from and is there a real chance of uh, farmers losing their land if they sign a contract under the contract law no you know th- this is one uh, this is one uh, thing that has been explicitly mentioned that uh, un- this is a thing that has been explicitly mentioned in this law that under no circumstances can a uh, you know farmer be vacated from his land this is a clause that has been explicitly mentioned here just to protect the farmers uh, if the farmers are not able to honor the contract or whatever be the reason you know private uh, there is this you know there will be deliberations with the dm or whatever be the negotiations but under no circumstances will the land of the farmer uh, be you know subdued to the private so th- this is this is a sort of protection that has been mentioned but ultimately uh, you know uh, when when it comes uh, to the ground level uh, as we see farmers uh, so it, it was a proper case study that was done that uh, a corn that is sold by far- farmer the butta that you eat and you know while it reaches to the uh, in, in the form of corn flour the makki ka atta the maize you know its price has increased more than 16 to 20 times what it was when the farmer sold so this is uh, an example of how middlemen are getting benefited and i think so uh, this is where the government tried to target you know eradicate the middlemen but uh, you know farmers have their own set of apprehensions presently the uh, situation that they are in the collaboration that they have with the middlemen they feel is exploitative but they still feel that it is still not that exploitative that it can be after the coming of these new laws obviously they are exploited right now you know they want something to be done for them but they don't see that these laws are the solution for what needs to be done for them so this is this is yeah. the basic starting of protest mm-hmm. well, what i also think now is that this whole msp regime it it has become albatross like a dead albatross hanging around the government because uh, you know this is something that is causing huge uh, fiscal deficit and yet uh, it is not something that the government can do away with so if if tomorrow if the government decides to cancel the msp there will be huge protest there will be protest 10 times the size that we have seen already and 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 this program is actually behind all of the farmers problems because not only does it lead to fiscal deficits and huge surplus on the government side but on the farmer side what it does is it reinforces the old system where uh, you know the farmers are getting exploited the real reason here is that uh, the example that you just mentioned that corn flour is let's say selling for 200 rupees but the corn that is getting bought from the farmer is only 
happening at 20 rupees right so all of this system is hugely inefficient 90% of the costs are going into the supply chain so uh, the, the first uh, method should be to reform the supply chain and not reinforce it through this ms msp uh, regime right because the msp regime what it does is it empowers the traders to buy from the farmers at the msp right so in in in, in the end what it does is it is reinforcing the old system the, the old monthly system where the farmers are being exploited now we need to reform the system and create new supply chains which are more efficient and 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 i think the way to do that is vertical integration with the food processing industry so uh, this is going to be uh, the, the last point here that we are going to discuss for agriculture right so what is the way forward what are the next steps and and i See, think uh, one, one thing i have one statement on msp so i think so uh, yes uh, these are the problems that you have said you know even i highlighted how middleman benefits but without having a proper system in place of msp because msp is something that uh, drives the farmers presently you know 44% of our workforce is uh, enforced and you know it works in the agriculture sector so that's a huge amount so msp acts as a minimum support price this is the basic that farmer is assured of that he'll get right but the the problem is uh, that you know the, but the problem is uh, what basically happens is presently what government is trying to bring in and the system that is already in place they both are flawed you know and they are just trying to replace one flawed system with another flawed system and this is where the farmer is apprehensive because they are familiar with one flawed system they don't want to you know waste their time and get apprehensive and you know it takes time to that so this is this is an example of demoralization like might be the step is very nice but if the execution which which obviously uh, is is the worst part in when it comes to indian bureaucracy if the execution is not proper then it might lead to plethora of problems so this is where uh, it happens yeah vyas please continue yeah so i think uh, let's take this question from vishal bhaiya so uh, he saying can you discuss the positives and negatives of big brands getting involved with farmers If, uh, he has uh, taken the example of Reliance. So, for example, if Reliance tomorrow decides to buy directly from farmers, what are the positives and negatives of that? So, I I, I think uh, like uh, th- putting my economic hat on and thinking purely from uh, the perspective of economics, it is something that makes sense to me. Because right now, if let's say Reliance wants to wants to manufacture you know some sort of uh, chips products, right? Uh, they, they want to manufacture potato chips. So right now, they will procure these potatoes from these markets, right? Uh, where, where there are traders, so so now uh, those traders are then procuring from the farmers. So there is one level gap, and in this level, the trader is sort of uh, cutting in with his market. So this is making this process inefficient. Whereas if the factory can directly buy from the farmers, they can cut out the margin of the, uh, you know, uh, they can cut out the margin of the uh, middleman, and that way the farmers can, in theory, get more money. But we of course know that it's very difficult to do theory for big brands like this to directly get in touch with farmers. and sort of the markets are uh, an efficient distribution mechanism uh, to to get around that but 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 uh, i mean the whole problem is that 90% of the cost is 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 going into that market which which just makes it totally inefficient and it, this is not the right way if we, if we are going to improve income for the farmer so i i think uh, involvement of business is great vertical integration is great so if if there would be nothing like it if you know all of these big brands can directly have a bunch of farmers and and they just buy from them because that that cuts out the entire um, middleman chain and you know all the profits get get distributed between the company and the farmers uh, which is great because it helps farmers around. yeah okay. yeah one 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 more angle to this is that uh, we, we have a uh, this positives uh, you know uh, farmers can they can procure directly at a higher price the only negative that i see uh, and this is the apprehension of the farmer is that you know what if uh, these big industries violate the contract what if you know uh, they complain the farmer of not producing uh, enough quality food so these what ifs are basically the things that farmers are more apprehensive of because we don't have a proper uh, appeal mechanism it, it appeals to sbm and dm and you know uh, uh, in uh, when there is a company like reliance there is no shortage of money so th- th- this is something uh, that farmers are apprehensive of. yes if you are able to eradicate the middleman uh, naturally when now reliance procures say a, a kg of corn for say 100 rupees and you know it uh, transforms it into 200 uh, so i think so instead of procuring for 100 and while farmers are selling for say 10 rupees uh, i think so farmers can now sell for 40 rupees to reliance and reliance will be you know it will be a win win situation for both the middleman will be eradicated but the only problem is uh, lies in this apprehension that they have and this is where these laws are not clear about so that is one problem you know it it, it is a noble uh, step in one direction but you know it has its own set of problems uh, 
uh, another problem is that you know if uh, if these industries they keep buying from the farmers as i rightly mentioned earlier then the mandis will have no utility and ultimately they'll get eradicated but once the mandis are eradicated uh, these companies can you know uh, a sort of establish a monopoly and monopoly is nowhere uh, you know beneficial so this is one another apprehension so these laws basically they have not been implemented completely so these are only apprehensions as to what can happen and what cannot happen but uh, you know why why wait for the worst and uh, you know not rectify them right from the start you know why don't give a, why don't we give a guarantee of uh, mandis being still there and you know the legal system being improved so i think so this is one thing yes it has huge potential for profits for both uh, you know the companies and farmers huge potential it has a potential to transform the agriculture system in india make it a profitable business but also uh, there are apprehensions that it has a huge uh, you know uh, potential for uh, already you know the downtrodden farmers they can even be suppressed more so this is uh, one thing yeah so I, i think both of the points that you brought up are excellent and, and you know I, i was only looking at the positives but these two are very strong negative points for you know uh, not allowing a contract farming directly because you know farmers are already a vulnerable class and then if you allow big corporations to deal with them and if 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 such a thing happens that the farmers are cheated out of what they deserve or you know the right justice is not delivered to the farmers the farmers are powerless or to to you know in to pursue this case or or you know to press charges or anything uh, with these big corporations so so we cannot really allow vulnerable farmers to deal with strong corporations because that that, that equation does just doesn't sit right and then the second thing is if you eliminate uh, these markets then you are essentially eliminating free market and you are introducing you know this cartelization or 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 this uh, non market mechanism where there is only one buyer and and there are so many sellers so the buyer will always always have the advantage there and and you know they can make things go according to them and not necessarily let the uh, free market system operate so i think these are both are excellent points and that is why we cannot actually do away with the mandis completely so uh, then what is the way forward here this will be the last thing that we we'll discuss today uh, right so uh, what is the right direction you know allowing going completely uh, pro business and allowing business to interact directly with the farmers is not the right way and allowing the current system which you know uh, enforces the old sort of inequalities in the village economy that is also not right so what is the right way uh, and and uh, you know if if we can also somehow uh, think about involving technology in the old system right uh, sort of not completely destroy the old system but try to reform it using technology i think that might be the middle part uh, which makes the most sense see uh, you know <clears throat> i think so old system has been too old rather to uh, you know revive it uh, it needs a complete reformation yes technology can help the present system the present system that has been uh, thought of is is an old step but it has its own set of problems you know you you cannot digitalize agriculture because of farmer uh, again the same same set of problems you know you bring new set of middlemen uh, because farmers are not very educated they're not very uh, you know uh, prone and keen uh, with technology so this is something that, that we need to realize that this is the uh, you know most basic strata of our society most important strata of society and the highest strata of our society Uh, they are not benefited you know they they don't have any awareness of bitcoin or stuff like that they they they're very very naive and very down to earth and practically down to earth that is what basically they do for me the best way forward would be you know incorporating the demands of farmers because ultimately it is the farmers that they know better for themselves you know government can yes obviously guide them but uh, if if you know if farmers are uh, uh, they they're demanding something it should be thought and talked about you know and it should be talked about right from the day one you know rather than Uh, letting it become a such such a big protest that has now gained political uh, you know ears that 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 is one thing so i think so this new system if it can be reformed the problems can be eradicated then maybe and and the guarantees of msps can be given then maybe uh, it it can act as a better system but again uh, one, one more thing that i would like to add is that you know this present system of msp is also uh, you know deteriorating so i think so uh we need to expand our uh, msps to all these uh, section uh, all these 23 crops and even more the horticulture and the vegetables parts too so that you know we diversify our agriculture we don't limit it limit it just to wheat and rice and this is where the problem starts and that is why the farmers of punjab and haryana are uh, protesting the highest you know the most so i think so it should be diversified msps there should be a guarantee the mandis should stay and the contract enforcement and the issues uh, that, that the farmers and the government have they should be talked about you know uh, it should not be only a pro uh, business law and it should not only be a uh, you know let let it be pro farmer law that that is what i say if you can give anything uh, you know ultimately you know no farmer can exploit maximum uh, uh, amount 
you know, he, he cannot sell his corn for 200 uh, rupees a cage. So it should be a pro-farmer uh, uh, law, you know, eradicate the middlemen, right? And uh, it's okay if the business uh, profits, you know, I'm not just I'm saying they're making loss. I'm saying if they're making profits a bit less, that's okay. Uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, making this uh, agriculture as a profitable uh, compared to what, what we can make agriculture as a profitable business, because ultimately it feeds 44% uh, of our workforce. And, you know, uh, we are presently an exporter nation. It helps a huge, this agriculture has a huge potential and, you know, to reduce our uh, trade deficit. So I think so, uh, uh, let, let here balance be in the side of farmers and uh, all these things that, that the contentions that they have should be reformed. And then, you know, let's again see what basically happens on the ground level. All right. So there you have it, folks. If you're going to make a law, make it so that it is, uh, you know, it, it leans towards the farmers a little bit because uh, we owe it to them, honestly. And uh, if, if, if there is a demand coming from the farmers, then we should uh, keep our ears out and sort of listen to that uh, very carefully. And uh, there is just one more thing that I would like to add that apart from, you know, MSP regime being extended to other crops uh, than just wheat and rice, I think there is also a need for better targeting of MSP. Because right now, I think MSP is being, uh, you know, the class which is being helped the most by MSP is actually the middle farmers and the big farmers, right. and not the small farmers. So I think uh, this minimum support price regime, it was brought in for uh, helping the smallest farmers or the most vulnerable farmers. So I think somewhere uh, the targeting of the scheme is not right. The procurement is only taking place from big cities where, you know, the big traders, they're buying from big farmers and selling to the government. Uh, which is uh, not how it should be. The procurement should take place at the grassroots level, where even the smallest farmer is selling it. And the most uh, small farmer can, you know, uh, select the market. Okay. So I, I think uh, that, that is a good place to uh, end, end this episode. Yeah. And, so, you know, again, because, again, you know, I'm very happy. I don't know next time when we'll be happy because it's a very uncertain journey. But yeah. uh, I think so. Uh, I, this this should be titled, you know, episode this, and it should start with you know, UPSC as a clear OBI. Yeah. So this is right. Yeah. So okay. Anyways, that that's it, uh, folks. And uh, next week, uh, let's see if we have time. We'll definitely make it here. But we have an exam uh, upcoming, so we are not very sure. But uh, we'll just update it if there is uh, any cancellation of the episode. Absolutely. We'll, we'll keep you guys updated. And thank you so much to everyone who tuned in today live. And uh, uh, as always, uh, we appreciate your questions. Uh, it, it makes the live discussion more engaging for us as well. So, so thank you so much for joining in live. Uh, and uh, thank, you, thank you to everyone who's going to listen to it later on. Thank you, Vyas. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.